We keep you in shape around here. We're going to re, uh, stand to read God's Word, and I'm going to talk to you today about the power of resurrection or resurrection power. I want to just call this Easter Sunday Christians in a Good Friday world. Easter Sunday Christians in a Good Friday world. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul is writing, and Paul says, I have what I've received, I passed on to you as a very first importance that Jesus died for our sins, exactly as Scripture predicted he would, that he was buried and that he was resurrected from the dead. On the third day, he was resurrected from the dead on the third day. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you will make real to all of us resurrection power. We thank you, Lord, that a miracle did happen, and you rose from the dead so that we could also live. May life be imparted to the hearts of our listeners today, not only here, but our radio friends listening by radio, speak to them. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He is risen. risen All right, you can be seated. God bless you. Now, we are finishing out Easter Sunday. We've been celebrating two major events in the last few days. Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Now, Good Friday and Easter Sunday could not be more diametrically opposed. What Good Friday caused in the emotions of the people in Jesus' day, as opposed to Easter, are complete opposites. Because you see, the Jews who had left everything to follow him left their vocations, left their fishnets, left their boats, left their families, left their homes, and followed him for three and a half years, were expecting something from Jesus that was not time for him to bring to this world. In the days that Jesus came, it was very, very difficult to be a Jew. They were living under Roman tyranny. The Roman government was very tyrannizing. It was very oppressive. And they were heavily taxed. They were burdened with a very uh, heavy-handed government. They were believing God to set them free. And what they were seeing this way did not jive with what they believed God wanted to do with them this way. Because you see, these were the people of covenant. The Jews were the people of the covenant. And they knew what God had promised Father Abraham. God had promised Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to be a great people. You're going to cover the earth. He said, Abraham, look up at the stars. See if you can count them. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in heaven or the grains of sand on the seashore. And through you, Abraham, and your descendants... All the nations of the world are going to be blessed. He said, I'm going to make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. 
Blessed in the storehouse, blessed in the field, blessed in your going out, blessed in your coming in. You're going to be a blessed people over all the people of the earth, Abraham. And then, of course, as Abraham's descendants multiplied in Egypt under uh, the Pharaoh, and they reached over a million strong, and God sent Moses in to deliver the people, carry them through the wilderness and into the promised land. But since all of that had happened, now the Roman power, the Roman government, had come into control of the entire region, and the Jews had been absorbed into the Roman government and the Roman world. And they wanted to be delivered. They wanted to see the promises of God for them come to pass. They wanted this promise to make sense here. They wanted to see what they believe this way happen this way. Have you ever been there? What you see here doesn't add up to what you believe here. And that's where they were. And so when Jesus arrived on the scene, see, they knew that their prophets had predicted the coming of a Messiah. And this Messiah would come, and Isaiah, for instance, predicted the government will rest upon his shoulders. You will beat your spears into pruning hooks. Your weapons of war will be no more. The lion will lay down with the lamb, and the Messiah will bring peace to the world. The government will rest upon his shoulders, not the Romans, not anybody else. And he will take over the world, and it will be a world of peace and fairness and equity and justice. And that's what they believe. So when Jesus came up on the scene, and Jesus began to open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears, and he walked on the water, and he spoke like no man ever spoke, and, and he even performed the granddaddy daddy of miracles. He raised people from the dead when they saw that, when they knew that. Then they began to think, this is the prophesied Messiah. He's going to take over the world. He's going to deliver us. They believed it so strongly. You read in the Gospels that they were arguing with one another about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom that was coming. Who's going to be the greatest? James and Peter and the others arguing about who was going to be on top. Even their mothers got involved and began to go to Jesus requesting privately that their son would be put in the highest rank in the new kingdom that was coming. That's how much they believed it. And so they were excited, they were motivated, they anticipated this incredible takeover by a miracle-working Messiah. And when they came to Jesus and they arrested him and they shuttled him through kangaroo court and they condemned him and, and accused him of overthrowing or seeking to overthrow the government and accused him of blasphemy, and they took him and they beat him until you could not recognize or know who he was. And then they finally laid him down and nailed him to that wooden cross and raised him up and dropped him down into that hole. And their hero, their deliverer, their anticipated Messiah hung between heaven and earth bleeding profusely they kept thinking why does not this one who raised the dead who cast out devils who healed the sick why doesn't he just come down off the cross they did not understand that Jesus did not come 
to rule the world at that time, but Jesus came exclusively to die. He was born to die. He died for the sins of the world. When they saw this and saw him hanging there, you've got to understand Good Friday was not good. Their dreams were shattered. Their expectations were ruined. They experienced heavy-duty industrial strength disillusionment. They walked away shaking their heads, unable to believe it. They ran into upper, upper story rooms and locked the doors, quivering and shaking, lest the same Roman guards come and take them and kill them. They were rehashing everything, wondering, what have we done? How do we go back to our wives and families and tell them we followed a phony? How do we tell them we gave three to three and a half years for nothing? They didn't get it. They did not understand. It is amazing to me that they forgot even the things that Jesus had said to them. Jesus had said to them when they were traveling around Galilee in the ministry, he had said to them these words, quote, when we get to Jerusalem, I, the Messiah, will be arrested and taken before the chief priests and the Jewish leaders who will sentence me to die and hand me over to the Romans to be killed. They will mock me. They will spit on me. They will flog me with their whips and they will kill me. But after three days, I will come back to life again. Now, he looked them right in the eyeball, and he told them those words, but somehow it went in one ear, out the other, and it encourages me. Because these guys just never really got it until the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, but he kept working with them anyway. And how many of you can say, I'm glad he keeps on working with me? And so it was that on the first Easter morning, a handful of women, Mother Jesus uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene, and a few other women got up, got some ointments ready for, uh, to, to bury him. They were not going to the tomb to see a risen Savior. They made their way in the pre-dawn hours of the first Easter morning down that winding road that led to the tomb where Jesus had been laid, and they were going to go and anoint him for burial. They were not anticipating what they came up against because the Bible says when they arrived, the Roman guards were standing there shell-shocked because they had had a vision of an angel who had come down, had flicked away that stone. Jesus had gotten up from the tomb and walked out into the rising sun of the first Easter morning, and these Roman guards were speechless. When the women walked up, there was the angel that looked like a flash of lightning. And the Bible says that this angel said to them, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. I want you to go and tell your disciples that he's going to meet them in Galilee. Get ready because the one who was crucified and buried has now been risen from the dead. And they went out. And they went out and they told the disciples, and I love the honesty of the Bible here, the disciples who followed him around for three and a half years did not believe them. I'm not saying they said this. This is what they might have said to him or to them. You had too many enchiladas last night. 
You had some nightmares. Jesus did not appear to you. You didn't see an angel. But the fact of the matter was the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away and Jesus was risen from the dead. And when they finally got it, the resurrection shook the known world of that day. And the aftershocks of the resurrection shake our world even more profoundly today because Jesus is near even at the door. He could come at any given time because he is the one who rose from the dead. This is a powerful, powerful story. You know, the life of Jesus began and ended with two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. You can't get near the story of Jesus. You can't open up the New Testament without encountering a miracle. First, you have a virgin's womb. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And the angel of God appeared to the little virgin Mary, and the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. And that thing that was conceived in her was divine, even the Holy Son of God. But it doesn't stop there. He was, he was born from a virgin's womb, but he also left an empty tomb. And there you confront and are confronted with miracles that God sent his only begotten son. He wasn't like anybody else. Jesus came into our world through a door marked no entrance. And he left through a door marked no exit. He came into this world in an unnatural way. He left this world in an unnatural way. The Bible says God wrapped himself in skin. That is the incarnation. He wrapped himself in skin. God became flesh. He became one of us. He felt our pain, lived in our world, worked among us, observed us. Then he died for us. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And there is no one else like Jesus, not in all the history of the world, of all the major world religions. Only Christianity claims an empty tomb for its founder, Go to the tombs of the founders of the great world religions. Call the roll. Muhammad, here. Buddha, here. Confucius, here. Moses, here. Jesus Christ, I said, Jesus Christ, he's not there. His tomb is empty. Paul the apostle hung his hope and his life on the resurrection. And I want to turn your attention now. Think with me about this whole thing of resurrection. Paul said, if there be no resurrection of the dead, if that's not real, if that's a hoax, if it didn't happen, then Christ must still be dead. And if he is still dead, then our preaching is useless. Your trust in God is empty. We apostles are all liars. You are still under condemnation for your sins. And every Christian who has ever died in faith died lost. And if being a Christian is of value to us only now in this life, we are the most miserable of creatures. If there is no resurrection, I don't need to stand up here another Sunday if there is no resurrection, I'll never tell another person about Jesus Christ. 
If there is no resurrection, we are of all people most deceived. If there is no resurrection, I've wasted my entire life. But, Paul said, the fact is that Christ really actually authentically did rise from the dead and has become the first of millions who will come back to life again someday. And that is our hope. Now, how does resurrection affect you and me today? How does resurrection, how does it affect us? What does it really matter to me today? Why do I even care about Easter? Why are all of you here today? Does resurrection really matter? It really does. And I'm going to tell you how it affects your past. To begin with, the resurrection affects your past. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, he took my sins and yours. The judgment that would have been mine and yours was laid on him. I don't know how God did it. God did it because God can do what he wants. But the Bible says he took every sin... Every time we broke the commandments of God, every time we sinned against our maker, God took every lie, every murder, every theft, every time we broke his commandments, God took every one of those sins and as Jesus hung on the cross, he was the sacrificed lamb. He came to die for the sins of the world. The Bible's testimony is that as Jesus hung there on that cross, God took our sins and placed them right on him and judged him for our sin. The reason he did this is because God is a holy God and sin must be judged. He's got to take care of sin. He can't allow a sin in his universe without answering that transgression. So God had to bring about justice. He had to have his need for justice satisfied. So on Jesus Christ, he placed our sins. And Jesus took my sins. And Jesus took your sins. And God imputed those sins to him. Reckoned those sins to him. Judged Jesus for those sins. Said in essence, guilty. You are guilty of the sins of the world. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in eternity past, for the first time ever, the son was temporarily separated from the father as Jesus took our sins on himself. But he was wounded and bruised, the prophet said, for our sins. He was lashed and we were healed. And God laid on him the guilt and sins of every one of us. He took them. The cross took care of our past. The cross washed our sins away. Not just washed them away, but as far as the east is from the west, that's how far the blood of Jesus has removed our sins from God. We are no longer guilty. And he took Jesus' righteousness and laid that righteousness on you and me and said, he is in sin, you are righteous. And he added righteousness to our spiritual bank account. The cross is a place of suffering, but it's also a place of tremendous victory. I read recently about some college students who were walking across the campus and they had been drinking and they were drunk. As they were walking across the campus... One of them looked at the chapel. 
that was on the campus, and on top of the roof of the chapel, there was a cross. And out of his drunken stupor, he said, Behold, God's great plus sign. Not knowing that he was telling the truth, because the cross is a plus sign, it's not a negative. It points vertically. And that means God took your hand and my hand, and he placed it in his hand through the blood of Jesus and by the blood of Christ. We were reconciled to God. We were who were alienated in our sins were reconciled to God by the work of the cross. But then it goes this way. When you have been reconciled this way, then you have peace in your life down here horizontally. God changes your life. And so the cross is not a negative. It's not just suffering, but it's a plus sign. And one of the students who heard this other guy say that got saved and became a missionary and is on the mission field today because he realized it's a plus sign. And something happens when you look at the cross and come to the cross and allow the blood that was shed on the cross to cover your sin. Nothing else will do but the blood of Jesus. Can I be bold enough to say, Muhammad didn't die for your sins, and neither did Buddha die for your sins, and Confucius did not get crucified for you. No, 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 neither did Moses, only Jesus Christ the son of the living God who was born of a virgin and left an empty tomb. Only he died for our sins. Only he can reconcile us to God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father, nobody ever, but only and exclusively through me. But the resurrection also affects my present. The resurrection affected my past because when God resurrected him from the dead, God was endorsing the cross of Jesus Christ. He was saying what he did, he really did. It was real and he did it for you. But the resurrection also affects my present because now in the present, I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what it's done? The resurrection of Jesus Christ has delivered me and delivered you from the fear of death. Did you know that I believe most of the fears that humanity experiences have their roots in the fear of death? The Bible says that Jesus came to deliver those who through fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves of constant dread of death. Everywhere you look, no matter what you do, you know that one day you're going to die. Death is that great specter out there that we all know we will face one day. One philosopher wrote, the certainty of death is a source of grief throughout our life. Death is the boogeyman ever lurking in the shadows. As we grow up, have our kids, pursue our careers, enjoy our life. He walks softly behind on silent cat's feet, patiently awaiting our time. Death comes to everybody. And without Christ, there is a fear of death, a dread of death. As a pastor, I've done many, many, many funerals. And I can tell you there's a huge difference between the funeral of a Christian and the funeral of somebody that didn't know God. When you go to the funeral of somebody that didn't know God, that's all that there was. That's all there was. From the ashes we came to the ashes we returned, there's no eternity, there's no eternal hope, there is despair. 
there is sadness, there is sorrow, there's wailing. There is something missing in the funeral of somebody that did not know Christ. As opposed to those who do, who still weep. They still cry, but it doesn't have that desperate edge that it has when you don't know God. That is because Jesus takes away the fear of death. In an Esquire magazine article, comedian Woody Allen is quoted as saying, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) And Woody Allen, the whole article is filled with dread. Woody Allen said, death makes all accomplishments in life meaningless. Because what have I done? I've worked, I've made money, I've built buildings, I've produced movies, whatever it is you've done. Only to have it one day fall to somebody else when I die. Solomon wrote about this in Ecclesiastes. He called it vanity, vanity, all is vanity. For what does it profit a man to make money, to earn a living, to raise children? When one day he dies and everything he's done just goes to somebody else and he returns to the dust. Jesus came to take that away. Jesus said, what you see is not all there is. There is another world. There is a dimension that is spiritual. There is a place called heaven. And when you die, this is not all there is. It's like you leave one room and walk into another. You leave one place and step into another. The Bible teaches that the minute somebody dies, their spirit immediately goes into eternity. You are an eternal creature. You do not just return to the dust. Your body will, but not your soul. Jesus Christ came to save the soul. He came to deliver us from the fear of death. And it isn't so good. That's why Paul the Apostle said, Oh, grave, where is your victory and death? Where is your sting? Because he took the sting out of the bumblebee of death. He took the stinger out. Though you die, yet you will also live. Jesus said, the one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ affects me right now because I don't have to be afraid of death. I know that he is with me. And I know when my time comes, he will be there. He will walk me across the valley of the shadow of death and he will escort me into his eternal kingdom and so I am not afraid of death he has delivered me and I have peace with God the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives me hope in so many ways gives me hope in the worst of times victory and embattled times a new beginning out of the ashes of time as long as there is God there is hope and I think what our world is dying for is hope they want hope We want hope when a mad nation is racing to create a nuclear bomb. We want hope when the whole world is embroiled in bloodshed and tears and tragedies. We want to know there's an answer, and there is an answer. And that's why we're here on Easter Sunday morning. The answer is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. And because He lives, I can face tomorrow. And because He lives, all fear is gone. The resurrection of Jesus brings into the Christian's life not only these things, but resurrection power. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ released into our life, resurrection power, the same resurrection power that raised him from the dead. Have you ever thought about it? He's lying in that tomb. There is a huge stone rolled against the mouth of that cave. And on the third day, something went into that tomb. The Bible says it was the Holy Spirit of God, the spirit of resurrection, eased silently into that tomb. Jesus was wrapped in grave clothes, head to toe. He was lying there as dead as any man has ever been dead. And something went into that tomb. And he who had not breathed for three days or nights, sucked in a breath, sat up, moved right through his grave clothes, stood up. The angel moved the stone out of the way. And the Son of God walked out into the first Easter morning, resurrected from the dead. What raised him from the dead? It was resurrection power. And the Bible says the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you. It's dwelling in you. Romans 8.11 says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And he will also quicken your mortal body. You see, that's why you should have been down and out. And you're not. That's why you thought it was over for you maybe a year ago, two years ago. You went through something that would have crushed a normal person and you thought it's over for me. But here you are again on Easter Sunday morning with a smile on your face and a skip in your step and a gleam in your eye, worshiping God all over again. What are you doing here again? How'd you get back up? The Bible says that God has placed in you the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He has placed in you resurrection power. This is not anything that somebody outside of Christ ever experiences. He places resurrection power in his people so that when you ought to be down and out, you just keep right on going. They stoned Paul and left him for dead, but he got right up and started preaching again. You see, you can't keep a good man down and you can't keep a Christian down because resurrection power is in your soul. And resurrection power is like no other power on earth. It has no rival resurrection power. It operates best in the midst of weakness. Have you ever noticed that? That's why Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Resurrection power loves to come up on scenes that are hopeless, scenes that look dismal, scenes where people are down for the count and it looks like they're not going to get up again. Resurrection power always manifests itself when everything around it is dull, dead, and barren. That's when resurrection power moves in, when it looks like you're married is dead. Resurrection power shows up and sparks it again. When it looks like you have been defeated by a habit, resurrection power moves in and finally sets you free. When it looks like you can't take another step, you're running the next week because resurrection power moved on you. That's what resurrection power does. And you know what? Resurrection power manifests itself best in graveyards. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, move the stone away and let me at your brother. I know he's dead. 
and he's been dead four days. Let my resurrection power at him. They moved the stone away. And what I really love is when he said to Mary and he said to Martha, they said, you should have been here and my brother would not have died. And Jesus said, you don't get it, do you? He said, I am the resurrection. Where I am, there is resurrection. One of them said to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had faith for the past. She had an if-only faith. And then the other one said, I know one day in the resurrection, my brother will rise again. She had faith for the future. But Jesus said, I want you to have faith for the now. You don't understand. I don't want you to walk around with if only, living under the tyranny of if only. I don't want you to be captivated and dominated by if only and walk around going, well, if only I hadn't divorced, if only I hadn't lost that job, if only I hadn't fallen in that area, if only I hadn't made that mistake. You're not understanding the power of Jesus Christ. And then, oh, I know someday I'll die and go to heaven in the sweet by and by. I got my ticket. But no, Jesus looked at them and said, I am now, right now, in your life, right now, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe that, don't you know you're going to see the power of God in your now, right now? So he stepped up to the tomb and he spoke down into that hole in the ground and he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's resurrection power. But resurrection also affects my future. Not just my past, not just my present, but my future. Jesus promised a future resurrection. Every person within the sound of my voice, I want you to hear this. Those of you listening by radio, understand something. Every human being that's ever walked the earth will be resurrected. Every person hearing me will one day experience a resurrection. Whether you believe in Christ or not, whatever you did with your life or didn't do, you will experience a resurrection. He is the Lord of the living and the dead. Jesus said, the time is coming when everyone dead and buried will hear his voice. Those who have lived the right way will walk out into a resurrection life. Those who have lived the wrong way into a resurrection of judgment. I didn't come today to talk about the negative, but I want to tell you very clearly and plainly, everyone here today, you are an eternal being. And Jesus is going to resurrect every single human being that has ever lived. Mussolini will be resurrected. Hitler will be resurrected. Caesar will be resurrected. Every person who has ever lived and died will be resurrected. And you'll be resurrected either to judgment, where God will judge you for your sins and for your life, and it is a serious time of judgment. Or if you had put your faith in Christ, in God's sacrificed lamb, what he did on the cross, and on that cross he was basically saying to the world, I love you. People say, why didn't God do something about all this pain? He did. How can he watch all of the agony, all the crime, all the murder, all the war, all the bloodshed? If he's really there, how can he do it? 2,000 years ago on the cross, God wrote, I love you. 
And if you come to him, he will put resurrection power in your soul. Your life will be covered by the sacrificed blood of the lamb. And when the judgment comes, as a believer, you will not go and be judged for your sin. You will go into a beautiful place. It is not a fantasy. It's not an Aesop's fable. It is not made up. It's not a figment of somebody's imagination. And I place all of my authority for saying what I say today on the words of Christ. Jesus said, it is the Father's will that everyone who believes in me should have eternal life. And at the last day, I will cause all such to rise again from the dead. And here is what our future holds in that place called heaven. There will be no more afflictions, no more perplexity, no more persecution, no more catastrophes, no more death. There will be no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more depression, no more high blood pressure, no more bad reports from doctors. You will not need to worry about losing weight or Max Factor or Maybelline because you will have a glorified body made unto like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will have a glorified body. He's going to change you on the way up. You won't have to work out or run ever again. You're going to have a body that will think and be there. You will eat not a bunch of sugar and chocolate and junk and McDonald's. You'll have the real happy meal, the fruit that is grown on the tree next to the rivers of life. There is what is called heaven. And God will take a heavenly Kleenex, the Bible says, and he will wipe away every tear from your eyes, every time your heart has been broken, every burden that you have carried, every shattering you've experienced, every letdown and setback that has rocked your world will be history. God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more any of what we experience in this Good Friday world because Jesus said the day is going to come when the trumpet shall blow and the dead in Christ shall rise first and those who remain and are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words he who was resurrected is going to resurrect he who came back from the dead is going to raise us from the dead so this is not all there is there is a better world coming a brighter day on the way and that's why I have hope and that's why as a resurrection Christian I go into a good Friday world every day and I want to tell them there is hope. There is hope in God. There's hope for your marriage. You can be delivered from your addictions. God can set you free and give you joy unspeakable and full of glory and you don't have to snort it or shoot it or smoke it or drink it to get it. Can you stand with me today? No matter how dark the night or how desperate the day, God can help you. God can help you. I'm going to ask that we bow our heads for a moment of prayer. You know, a lot of people come to church on Easter for different reasons, and I I completely understand that. But I'm going to ask you a question. I want to ask you, 
Has Jesus Christ come into your heart? Have you experienced the resurrection in your heart and in your soul? Has that happened? Maybe you used to walk with God and you've gotten away from Him. Don't you think it'd be a great day to come back to Him? A great day to seal it? Say, it was on Easter that I turned my faith towards Him again. See, you have the faith to turn it upward. You have the faith in you to turn it upward. And when that faith is turned upward towards him, he moves on your life, he comes into your heart, and he changes you. If you're returning to him, I read a great story in yesterday's paper. This guy had been a biker for 15 years. He'd been a Southern Baptist preacher, and he walked away from God. For 15 years, he didn't even open a Bible. And somebody asked him, having found out that he used to be a preacher, if he would do a funeral for one of the bikers. And he opened up the Bible to do it and said to himself, my God, what have I done? What have I done? I walked away for all those years. But now he's making up for lost time. Have you walked away? Do you need to come to him? With our heads bowed, if you've once walked with God, but you've strayed incrementally over time, and even you're surprised you're not where you used to be. God wants to bless you today. If you can say, that's me, Pastor Jeff, would you raise your hand? If you used to walk with him, yes, there and there and there. And if you've never experienced the miracle of turning the faith that is in your heart up towards Jesus Christ, and been born again, that miracle can happen to you today. If that is you, would you raise your hand right where you are? Yes, God bless you and you. What I want to do is I want to pray with you. It's just going to be you and me. I want you to forget about the crowd. But if you've raised your hand to either one of those questions, would you make your way down right now? Just make your way down to this altar. If you're with somebody and you don't want to come alone, say, hey, walk down there with me. But as you come... We're going to pray. So I'm going to wait. We're going to sing. And you come. If that nudge is on your heart, if this is where you are, you come now quickly. And we're going to pray. Just step out from where you are. Yes, Lord.